Good morning. Welcome to the Mr. Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Matra. It is Friday, August 16th, the morning after the Redskins' second preseason game of 2019. Joining me on to talk about that on the other line, it's the Marco Mitchell of podcasting, Matt Terrell. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. Um, would you have preferred to have been another Redskins preseason Hall of Famer? No, Marco Mitchell's an excellent choice, but I got hung up on something else. You said joining me on the other line, which is also what like Chris Ryan always says on the Ringer podcast. I think Robert Mays says it on their podcast. I hear it a lot, but but it's not the other line. It's just the line, right? But I'm literally holding a phone and like talking to you on the phone. I, like I think I think that qualifies as being on the line. It's on the line, but it's not the other line. The other line oh, is the when... other line. Oh, like if I had another call. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for thanks, uh, dear listeners out there. Uh, last last week, we asked uh, if you are listening to let us know through some form or fashion. I had one person let me know. Yeah, I had one or two people let me know in person. And uh, I got one fantasy football invitation that leads me to believe that the person heard the podcast. So uh, three. We're up to four oh. listeners, Jamie. Oh, this feels kind of like my wedding where like my side of the aisle was barren and my wife's side was packed. Yes, I have three times as many people as you do. Okay, this is a theme, it's a recurring theme in my life. Uh, we might talk about um, the reason that I didn't watch the Redskins game last night, which is I finally saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I, I was, I'd, I'd rather spend the, the night with uh, Quentin Tarantino than Larry Michael. But um, fair. I did, so I didn't see any of the game. I saw one play, exactly one play of the Redskins Bengals preseason affair, and it was Dwayne Haskins throwing a beautiful touchdown bomb. Yeah, well, that was the only play you needed to see because it was the only play that felt uh, A, good, or B, really significant in the game, as far as I was concerned. Um, uh, my quick story about how I watched the game is because I love and care about the four listeners of this podcast so much, um, I signed up for the free trial of NFL Game Pass to stream the Redskins preseason game. Now, that may not sound like a big uh, layout, but when I forget to unsubscribe before the end of the trial, it's going to cost me a hundred bucks to have watched this miserable, awful NFL preseason game because it was Jamie. It was miserable and awful. Yeah, I would I wouldn't have gone that far to actually do the trial membership to stream the. I appreciate you doing that for the podcast. Yeah, I mean, they, it's it's funny because it's an outlay of zero dollars, but secretly we all know I, that I just ponied up a hundred dollars, or I might as well have. So here's the thing: when I watched the game, the first half, which is what I was really trying to make sure I stayed watching, I, I by the second half I'm off in Nowheresville playing Fortnite with my son. Um, so, uh, but for the first half there were so many penalties that that would actually be my top takeaway. If, if the officiating, if this was indicative of how the officiating is going to be in the regular season, the NFL is going to be unwatchable this year. It was awful. It was, it felt like every play or maybe every other play was a penalty and some of them were accurate and some of them were not, but it was just, it was unwatchable. It was real bad. A penalty filled Redskins preseason game. That sounds great. Uh, The Redskins lost by the way, 23 to 13. Not that it matters. Um, Haskins, when did he enter the game? He entered the game midway through the second quarter, I believe. Uh, Case Keenum started and was uh, Case Keenum. I mean, he was okay. He His stat line is going to look a lot worse than he did because he had a couple plays negated by penalty. Um, he... But my takeaway from this game is sort of my takeaway from the last game uh, exponentially. It's like there's no reason for Haskins not to start. Mm-hmm. He's not a fragile ego who's going to get destroyed and he's got enough know-how to run 
a professional football game. So let him start. There's no reason on earth to do anything else. The the if he starts, if if I'm sorry, if Keenum starts, his leash is going to be so short. You know, if they start like because I mean we're already like in this like froth of who should who should be the quarterback. If they start like one and two, and he's plays like Case Keenum, I mean he's got to be pulled, right? Like there's no reason to stick with Keenum unless it's a season like last year where they've gotten off to a six and three start despite their quarterback. Well, I, I'm, I, I feel like I keep hitting this same point to the point of it being tedious, but like, I really, you look at who started the preseason game. And if you assume that has any significance whatsoever, it really, really feels like um, Jay Gruden is making all of the safest decisions and it, it's making for some miserable football. Like I, I, I can't find the tweet on short notice, but somebody tweeted the Redskins offensive starting skill players last night. And I just looked at it and it was like, it was like Keenum at quarterback, uh, Docton and quick at wide receiver and um, Adrian Peterson in the backfield. And like, look, I understand that I'm the only one who hates watching Adrian Peterson run and that he's going to be there and that's fine. But those other three guys could not be less inspiring because you can't even hate them. It's not like they're starting awful guys. They're just guys, you know? Um, who is this guy? Because uh, I'm looking at the, the box score. And Dwayne Haskins is 7 for 14, 114 yards, touchdown, three sacks, fumble lost, whatever. Case Keenum, three for seven, 52 yards, pretty much nothing else in the box score. So that's all boring. Who is Jalen McClendon? Two for two passing, 12 yards. He's the guy that they brought in to replace um, Josh Woodrum um, when he got injured. He's was spent some time in the Ravens camp, I think. I don't think he ever put, was made the roster. He's, I don't from, know. he's he, from Baylor. Did he did he follow RG three at Baylor? He he must. Well, he certainly didn't precede him at Baylor. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about him, and I'm not overly concerned about him. I yeah. just. I, that, there's another thing, you know, our running bit about the preseason Hall of Fame. Uh, there's not even anybody like exciting to watch that, you know, is going to be pointless. It's mm-hmm. like uh, it's it's been a really, really mediocre preseason in the worst possible way. And I just think it, I can't imagine the watching regular season games that are like this. It just sounds awful. Well, shout out to Hogshaven because when I searched Jalen McClendon, the first result was who is Jalen McClendon, the undrafted free agent quarterback just signed by the Redskins. This is very helpful. Oh, yeah. This is very yeah. like resource journalism right here. Yeah, well that that espionation SEO is no joke, man. You know, that's true. I've had some conversations about that. <laughs> you're, you're you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, I'm looking at the rest of the box score and you're right about this too. I mean, there's just like nothing to get excited about. I mean, other than, you know, Robert Davis for the second straight week caught a long touchdown, but it was his only catch. Yeah. But, but I would be okay. Like I'm to the point now where, and I say this with no, like, I'm not trying to have a, like a take, Mm -hmm. but if the starting lineup of the positions I just listed uh, opening week were fine, Adrian Peterson, but then Dwayne Haskins, Robert Davis and uh, Terry McLaurin, I would be like, ecstatic that would be exciting to watch it would be interesting it would be guys who are hungry and trying to get after it and like i'm sure that the guys that i listed before are hungry and trying to get after it and everybody is i get that and they're all human beings with families etc but i just like case keenum to brian quick like really is that you know i just i can't it's 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 
tedious. And it feels like Gruden is making decisions on guys that he trusts or that he wants to keep around or that he thinks give him the best chance to have that eight and eight, nine and seven season that might sneak him into the playoffs and save his job. And I think if he goes three and 13, but Haskins throws for 4,000 yards, I think that could save his job also, you know, Mm -hmm. for good or for ill. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, I, I think those are the dice that I would roll if I were Jay Gruden and not the safe, cautious play. Yeah. Leaning in on, on Haskins. Um, Although I don't really understand this tweet from last night. It's a, he retweeted the NFL tweeting a video of the touchdown pass. The video just said, you know, it was a beauty. And Haskins' reply is sheesh, LOL. I can throw the deep ball all day. So uh, is that a response to something that I'm not aware of? Kind of. I, I don't think it's as harsh as it kind of could sound. I think what it is, is, and I think JP Finley said something about this on their podcast. Um, Haskins uh, apparently is most proud that he was able to make adjustments at the line and that he's growing from that capacity that like his point is chucking the ball, however many yards in the air uh, to a streaking receiver was never something that he was, that was in doubt with him. So oh, I think, okay. Yeah, I, that I think was that's... like with someone doubting his ability to throw the deep ball. It's like, I've never heard that. No, yeah, the opposite. Everybody, okay. he's like, this isn't the highlight. The highlight is that I changed the play at the line. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The official NFL like main account should definitely be tweeting his audible. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't understand why anybody would do anything else. It's like wh- when everybody was tweeting that Bryce Harper grand slam last night, what I wanted to see was the several batters leading up to that so that I really understood the full context of the moment. I wanted to see like when he laid off that slider right before that home run. That's what is the most viral you know, his discerning batter, batting eye. Well, I mean, what I obviously wanted to see was him burst into flames as he rounded third, but no such luck. Um, I, I, I keep swinging wildly back and forth on Harper, by the way. Like, when he was with the Nats, I loved him. And uh-huh. since he's been with the Phillies, I just keep going back between love and hate. Like, watching that last night, I wish he was on the Nationals again. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of just um, consistent in my ability to hate. So uh, I stuck with that. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it makes me a bad I person. See, I see Monte Nicholson, who's like actually, you know, like a roster player, um, had a 96-yard interception return. That's Yeah, cool. although not to, not to plus our joke about uh, Haskins' signals, but another key there was that it was tipped at the line by Deron Payne. Um, mm-hmm. It was a good play. It, it was actually uh, – players who might contribute contributing in a crucial situation and they were stuck deep in their own territory because of those stupid penalties. So it, it was nice. That was, that was actually nice as well. I, I forgot about that. Okay. Well, you're welcome. Um, Thank you. Let's see. Vernon Davis had 43 yards on two catches. Nothing more exciting than like a case Keenum to Vernon Davis connection. This is exactly what I am saying. Just a yes. glimpse of the future. <laughs> Nothing says 2020 in the NFL, like case Keenum and 85-year-old Vernon Davis. Uh, preseason Hall of Fame candidate Darvin Kidsey Jr. only had two catches for five yards on four targets. Well, he can always rally in the crucial fourth preseason game. I mean, that's where preseason Hall of Famers are really made, as I think we all know, uh, is that fourth preseason game. That's the crucible that forges uh, them. Kelvin Harmon and Josh Doxson, both zero catches on one target. Kelvin Harmon had a well, note on Kelvin Harmon is he actually looked decent and had two offensive pass interference penalties of questionable provenance that took away uh, what would have been nice catches by him. Oh, okay. That's good. Um, no sighting of uh, McLaurin or uh, Quinn. Or McLaurin has, Richard. they both have some mystery injury. I forget what it was, but nobody knows the severity of it. It's the kind of thing where it's like, 
nobody can figure out what's going on there. Uh, what about Geis? Is he, does he have something? Does he have an ailment? Yeah, not clear to play yet per Gruden this week. Um, he, uh, I don't know. Hopefully he's cleared to play by the regular season, so I don't have to root for Adrian Peterson. This is very helpful. I, 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 I don't follow the Redskins all week, and then you fill me in. Uh, Peterson's first run, I will say, was a great run. I mean, it was a genuinely impressive. He used his blockers, and his blockers are not great because he was running left, um, and he looked good. I, I mean, he's Adrian Peterson appearing to run at full strength against preseason speed opponents, so take it with a grain of salt, but he looked good. I mean, I'm looking through, uh, like, last night's kind of, like, Redskins Twitter dashboard. There's really just, like, nothing interesting. Am I missing anything? No, and I think we touched on the few things that that actually uh, popped as interesting. I have a thing where Jerron Kristen, or apparently Jaron Kristen, as his name is apparently said, um, I don't know if it's the fact that his name ends in O-N or that he wears number 74 or that he's a thus far underwhelming uh, left tackle drafted by the Redskins, but I keep thinking of Stefan Heyer when I see Jaron Christian, and that is not a welcome association. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess, I mean, is there anything else with the offensive line with, with Williams out and probably not returning anytime soon? I mean, did they uh, hold up okay? No, they were, they were not great. Uh, that left side is terrifying when it's Christian and flowers on the left. It's not good. Um, Wes Martin, it's been tough to tell when they've tried him in left guard how he is. But I just think, again, there comes a time where I think you say, well, I can be just barely adequate with these guys with no future. Or I can, uh, you know, put in the rookies and let them learn sort of on the fly. And I think I think they're approaching that point. I don't think Flowers is a solution. Um, Donald Penn has not looked uh, i mean he's looked like an old person who was on the scrap heap um he has not looked like a recent all pro or whatever he was pro bowler so uh yeah no there's worries there i think there's a lot of concerns there all right well i think it's time for each of us to put on maybe 100 110 pounds between now and week one and give give the redskins offensive line some depth yes because i am far from a broken down old man on the scrap heap that's a great plan (laughs) uh okay we're gonna talk about I'd like to talk about the reason I missed the Redskins game last night, the new Quentin Tarantino movie. Wait, let me interrupt you first. Didn't you say you had an ad read today? I do. I do. I have a read. Don't, don't fast forward through this with the jump ahead 15 seconds because it's not for like, you know, whatever, StubHub. Um, it's actually for a listener of the podcast. Michael McElroy, a.k.a. MC Elroy, is a wedding DJ and DC sports fan living in Philadelphia, which is a terrible place to be a DC sports fan. He's sponsoring this podcast. And if one of our several subscribers happens to both live in Philly and be getting married soon, hire him to DJ your wedding. He promises to figure out a way to work hail to the Redskins and the baby shark song into your reception. Check him out at mcelroy.com. That's E M C E E Elroy. Where do you fall on the baby shark phenomenon? You mean specifically with the Nats? No, well, sure, that, but also just the song in general. Oh, the song in general is tough. Um, You know, when you've got like your five-year-old telling Google to play it over and over in the house. But the song, whenever Pyra comes up to bat at at Nats Park, is I, I, I like that phenomenon. I will say there was a podcast about 
Baby Shark and where the song came from was an episode of Decoder Ring, which I think is a Slate podcast, um, that was really good and really interesting. And it's one of those things where you know how if you spend the bare minimum amount of time studying something, you get like attached to it and you feel possessive ownership of it and you like it more. Uh, that, that happened to me with Baby Shark. So now I'm like totally okay with it, even outside the Nats context. Strong recommend for that Decoder Ring episode and also for MC uh, whatever up there in Philly. You go, man. MC, MC Elroy. And by the way, he also said he would play Hell of the Redskins at your wedding. I, the thought did not cross my mind to play Hell of the Redskins at my wedding, but I bet that's played at a lot of weddings. I was at a wedding um, where it was played somewhat unexpectedly, and I don't think entirely with either the bride or the grooms. Um, uh, you know, inviting it. I think it was more that some enthusiastic guests had requested it. And that was an awkward moment. Yeah. I was at I... state, whatever. Played. People that were from Ohio state, which, you know, there were a lot of like Buckeyes at this wedding were into it. Everyone else was like, this is so fratty. Like, what is, the, what is this? Why are we subjected to it? I, yeah, you really need a critical mass of people uh, who support that thing to to get have the fight song pay off. But yeah. that said, I'm sure these weddings in Philly where it's played will go great, especially with our friend DJ uh, Good Old What's His Name, MC Elroy. MC Elroy. MC Elroy. The podcast brought to you by MC Elroy. His boy, MC Elroy. And who do who do we have last year? Like Dustin Fox, Northern Virginia Realty. Sure. Uh, and we'll friend of the pod home today yeah in friend of the pod brent sour who's just uh sower or whatever who's just uh wants to be an all-around amiable dude uh we, we got good sponsors did you see the uh there's like a little viral video yesterday and like redskins twitter it was from key and peel the uh it's the scene in key and peel where like his his barack obama character is like greeting everyone and every white person he greets is just like a you know very stiff handshake and every African-American person he greets, it's like a very elaborate exchange. Um, well, he did that, but like substituting like people from Redskins Twitter for each of the people that Obama was greeting. Are you familiar with the scene at all? I'm familiar with the scene. I, I saw the video shared around, but I, as usual with with vi online video, I was like, no, I'm going to pass. So I, I didn't watch I, it. I didn't really care that much about like the Redskins Twitter component of it, but just the brilliance of that of that sketch, like. I think it is in one take or maybe two takes. There's like one cut of him to do that of, uh, I, I guess it's uh, Jordan Peele, right? Yeah. Um, it's really impressive. <laughs> Very good clip. Uh, anyway, also impressive. I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last night. It's been out for like two or three weeks. I've been avoiding spoilers, podcast reviews. I didn't know anything about the movie other than like kind of the setting and the stars, at least the top stars, Pitt uh, and DiCaprio. Um, if you haven't seen it or you want to see it, just stop listening because I don't want to like. Yeah, we're not dancing around anything. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right away, what I thought was delightful was like all the other people that are in it that just show up throughout the movie, and I had no idea who uh, jumped out at you in particular. Well, I mean, just right off the bat, like, oh, there's Al Pacino. <laughs> you know, like there's Al Pacino playing like a Hollywood producer from that time, or like at the commune, like, oh, there's Lena Dunham. Well, you know? so there's apparently um, apparently there are like groupings, like everybody at the commune or most of them are apparently the kids of at least somewhat notable entertainment personalities, uh, which may or may not be 
significant somehow in the meta reading of the script. Um, uh, you know, who, the, uh, who, who is the one? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go, you go ahead. The, the girl who kind of like lures Brad Pitt to the, to the ranch. She's, um, who is she, what is she from? Uh, she's been in something and I cannot remember what it was something I haven't seen. Um, oh, gosh, but she's so familiar. It's been killing me. Well, she's also it. the daughter of, I think, Annie McDowell. Um, she's somebody's daughter where when you read that she's that person's daughter, you're like, Oh, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So I guess overall, like, like, I don't know how you want to grade it or how you want to like, what do you think? So I really liked it. Uh, all the, all the, um, it's interesting. Cause, and just to reiterate, we are now officially 100% about to spoil the entire movie. Um, and so the, what I forgot when I watched it is like, cause you spend this whole movie kind of like hanging out. You're, if you're on a podcast, you're uh, required to call this a hangout picture because uh, it's a hangout picture. And you're hanging out with these guys and, and Sharon Tate for uh, a day. And then there's a gap and then you get to that last day. And then it's just this cranked up tension um, straight through to the end scene, which is a tension release of the first order. Um, and uh, what I what I said when we left was that, like, I kind of wished I had been spoiled on it. Because I think I would have enjoyed watching the scene more without the worry of what we were going to see at the end. Because my worry wasn't so much like on-screen violence is on-screen violence. It is what it is. I'm not, I'm not really opposed to that, obviously. But like the thought of Quentin Tarantino like sort of sadistically and gleefully recreating the Sharon Tate murders on screen um, really didn't appeal to me. And I was, I was, what I was most afraid of was that we were going to have to see that. So you were uh, kind of dreading that the whole two and a half hours. Uh, no, but about the last half hour, once, once they cut yeah. in on August 8th or 9th or whatever. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. Once they, once they cut to that day, I was like, Oh my God, he's not going to do this. And then at some point I finally realized, Oh wait, this is inglorious bastards all over again. Uh, which is awesome. And, and so I want to see it again with that knowledge because I think I will enjoy it much more. And then my last point on this is that I realized after thinking about it that I had forgotten, but that's happened to me with every Tarantino movie. The first time I saw Reservoir Dogs, my friend and I were house sitting uh, in high school. I mean, like we were young. It was, it was 92 or whatever, whatever year that came out. And we rented it and it was incredibly tense to watch, but we watched it again and again, because that's what you do, at least what you did when you were a high school boy in those days. And, you know, by the second viewing, all the tension is gone because you know what's going to happen. So you just sort of live in the movie and Tarantino's movies to me are better that way than when they are just making you so incredibly tense and glorious bastards is actually the same thing well i wonder if this would be the same way where it's like rewards rewatching. i mean i thought it was like entertaining throughout and kind of like a, a kind of like, like languid like chill hangout way for the first couple hours even though there's like you know some of it is, is kind of depressing i mean you've got like leonardo dicaprio is an absolute wreck you know for like the first two-thirds of the movie at least um but i it wasn't like this like snappy dialogue you know where you're I, like I, I don't know it's going to be like reservoir dogs or pulp fiction or whatever where you could just like watch those over and over like i, I don't know that i i'm ever gonna watch this again but i enjoyed it a lot in part because every single scene well not just like it's not just like hollywood a beautiful recreation of hollywood but like brad pitt and or leonardo DiCaprio are in like every single scene and or margot robbie um and that's just very well that's like just very enjoyable 
Yeah, I, I will watch Brad Pitt in anything. I thought there were certain elements of this where it felt like Tarantino was deliberately calling back to his old movies. So in uh, Pitt's final, you know, uh, when he's tripping towards the end, I felt like he was deliberately playing it like Floyd in True Romance, which oh, yeah. I was happy to see because... Uh, I didn't put that together, but yeah, they're they're both in a living room. Yeah, and they're both doing they they both do the like uh, oh yeah they went that way no he's right over there kind of thing like yeah it was a very similar play. Uh, so I looked up um, Margaret Qualley who plays Pussycat. Uh, she is the daughter of Andy McDowell. She was in the Leftovers and Fosse... the Leftovers. That's exactly what it, I'm sorry. That's yeah. that's what was killing me. Okay, good. I'm glad I could tell that it was weighing on you. So I wanted to at least get that out of the way. But yeah, yeah. I find Brad Pitt to be one of like the most watchable actors, uh, certainly of my lifetime. Like, I, oh, yeah. you just like watching him. I just enjoy him when Dude. he's on screen. I mean, so many so many good scenes, but the whole scene when he goes to the ranch. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, the suspense and just like the sense of wonder. It was, yeah, it was like eerie. And I was totally like on the edge of my seat the whole time. I I just love that whole scene. Uh, And I thought the tension, the actual tension breaking moment where, where Tarantino turns history, when Brad Pitt makes the clicking noise while he's pretending to hold a gun out. And you have like half a second Mm -hmm. to think that he's just pretending to shoot the gun. And then you realize what's actually happening. I mean, that was a just a masterpiece moment. That was great. Like the end of the movie is spectacular. I I mean, I love the the ending. Like my heart was racing so much of it. So many little elements like the little clicking noise he makes to like signal the dog were callbacks. Like that should have been like established earlier in the film. You know, like that yeah. he could be like ultra violent kind of was established when he like beat the shit out of a hippie at the ranch. Yep. And, you know, like just uh, the, even like Leo's flamethrower thing, like that was part that, you know, part of the, one of the movies that they showed at the very beginning. Well, that was that was the funniest thing to me because he lays that groundwork so obviously in hindsight. Yeah. It's like literally Chekhov's flamethrower. Uh, and I totally didn't see it. Never occurred to me it was going to come back into play. That was an amazing moment also. Like, I mean, even like the dog food, like the dog food can that he like takes out the first hippie with, you know, like you, you had spent a minute with the dog food. Yeah. You know, like yeah. earlier. In the, like, I don't know. I just. It, it just all kind of came home and added up to, a, I thought, just a spectacular finish. Like, I walked out of the theater just, like, beaming and just kind of awestruck. Yeah, it was it was a really good ending. I don't know if you listen to the Blank Check podcast. Um, no. If you don't, I highly, highly recommend it. It's one of my faves. But anyway, Griffin Newman, who is one of the hosts there and is a sort of a, uh, an actor in some, some things you may or may not have seen. And he's just sort of a guy who like really likes movies and understands movies. He uses the phrase sometimes that a movie pays out like a slot machine when it, mm-hmm. and that was what I kept thinking of on this one. It just, yeah. It all built to that. It was, it was great. You um, know what I loved also, and this, this is kind of a quiet moment was that whole kind of section where Leo's doing the, the movie where he's the heavy uh, and like interaction with the little girl you know, who's acting, who's his co-star. Yeah. And like both the reading of the, the books on the porch when it's just the two of them, and then the scene where he kind of nails it despite being like a total like drunk mess. And she whispers in his ear, that was the best acting I've ever seen. Yeah, that was that was that, sweet. I thought that was awesome, like really moving. And just like, I thought Leo during that whole section of the movie where he was like just a total wreck, like physically <laughs> and just a drunken mess. I, I thought that was great. I loved it. I mean, I think Brad Pitt seems to be getting like all the attention sort of for the movie, but I thought Leo was great too. I, um, during, uh, my wife 
suddenly made like a sad noise and sort of tapped me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And obviously uh, she wasn't able to explain then, but I totally missed Luke Perry and what was his final screen appearance in that scene. Um, and uh, that was weird. So that I, was I'm so weird to have him like walk onto the, into the picture. Yeah. You, know? you didn't realize that was Luke Perry. No, well, I, I, I didn't. I was, I didn't. I, I, I got nothing for you. I was never the hugest of nine hundred two one zero fans. I was really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hadn't seen him in thirty absorbed. years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I, that was that's a good example. Like Kurt Russell too. Like just a random notable actor entering the picture that I like. Like I said, I purposely like avoided knowing anything about this movie. Uh, so it was just like just delight after delight. And the other, my other favorite thing about this movie was, as I said last week, it has sent me back both reading about the Manson stuff, which is interesting, but not so thrilling, but uh, um, rewatching uh, all of Tarantino's previous pictures, like Inglorious Bastards jumped up probably nine spaces in my Tarantino rankings on the rewatch because it was my first rewatch. Uh, it's just been a pleasure going back and revisiting all those movies. So it, even if I hadn't liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would be grateful to it for that. It was a, it was a good, you know, it's a good way to kill nine and a half hours at the movies. You know, one thing I was surprised about is um, I heard people like kind of like talking about the soundtrack and how wonderful it was. And like wanting now they're like, they're like listening to music from 1969 or whatever. I was, I really wasn't taken by the soundtrack. Like there so, was no, there was very few points. And this is strange for a Tarantino film where I was like, Oh, like I got to Shazam that one or like, oh, I've got to go back and listen to this. I didn't really like the music that much. Well, there were also some moments where it felt again like he was, you know, reaching back to his stuff like Neil Diamond shows up. And when I hear Neil Diamond on the soundtrack, all I think of is Quentin Tarantino mm -hmm. and the scene in Pulp Fiction, mm -hmm. um, even if it was the Urge Overkill cover of the song on the soundtrack. Right. Like, right. Um, I I. We'll say this. Here's your homework for this week. Um, mm -hmm. Have you, unless you've already done it, have you ever listened to Dennis Wilson's album? No. Okay. There was a Dennis Wilson. Uh, they mentioned Wilson at one point when Manson well, so, shows up. Yeah. That's what sent me off to it was Dennis Wilson is obviously crucial in the Manson story, depending on whose version you believe he may have been more or less crucial, mm -hmm. but uh, he's uh, for those who don't know, he's the uh, brother of brian wilson from the beach boys he was sort of the goofy surfer one of the group and then and so in i want to say like 74 or so sometime after the murders which apparently really messed him up and sent him on the spiral that would eventually uh some people believe lead to his tragic uh what may have been a suicide and may have just been a kind of accidental drowning of himself it's unclear he released an album um, that I went back, it's on Spotify. So I finally listened to it after reading about it in so many of the Manson things and it, it's good. And I think it's especially in your sort of wheelhouse. It has that sort of proto band of horses sound to it. Um, that, say, say no more fam. Yeah. So your homework is to check out uh, Dennis Wilson's album. I can't remember the name of it, but it's something like it's blue and it's something depressing. I, I don't know. It's a good album. Liked it yeah. a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm already, I'm already on it on Spotify. I'm, I'm finding awesome. this. Oh God. Yeah. Just the cover art alone is, is got me. Yeah. Um, Pacific ocean blue. That's the one. Yeah. That's it. I'm in. Um, what, one other thing I just like, I thought it was notable was there's so much like both recreation of, and like just straight up showing or playing like TV movies, music of that era it seemed like purposefully not like the good TV movies or music of that era. Like maybe that was intentional that it was just kind of like the kind of like stuff that the masses were force fed at that time. 
I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I haven't really thought this through through the crit- critical lens, but like, especially all the TV they were showing and it wasn't like the good stuff of the sixties, I guess. Well, I, but I mean, I think that's always part of Tarantino's thing. Yeah. And especially with the soundtracks is that there's so much more to this than what you remember if you just skim the surface. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not someone like that. I'm a surface skimmer. So like, mm-hmm. when, it's nice for me to have, the Tarantinos of the world to do the deep dives and pick the songs that you never listened to. Cause if you ever stopped uh, and thought for a minute, like how many bands there have been and how many of those bands have put out albums that you might quite like that you are totally unaware. You don't even know how to search for or find them in Spotify. You don't know that they exist. There's just, there's so much stuff out there and there's more and more with each passing year. And that means there's more and more that we've never heard. So anybody who can dig that stuff out and expose it to me and to other people, I am always just, well, I think that's part of why I love music in that way. Like I will listen to this Dennis record, Dennis Wilson record while working today. I've never listened to it before. I've listened to like tons of beach boys stuff. Love it. Love Brian Wilson, but I can do that while I'm doing other things. Whereas like, I can't really do that with cinema. You know, you have to like devote the time to that specifically. Uh, I don't know. I think that's why I get to like collect music in that way that I don't with film. One Um, other note for you on that front real quick is the, the FBI episode that uh, Leo and uh, Brad watched together that they were kind of (laughs) like, yeah. Yeah. But have you seen it's, it's a shot for shot recreation or a digital insertion of Leo into the Burt Reynolds role of an actual episode of FBI. Okay, so uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that it, I thought was really interesting. Like, I couldn't tell what was original versus like a recreation versus something that never existed in any form. Like, there were several different moments like that throughout the film. Yep. I didn't know this one either. Somebody, it got shared around on Twitter a couple of times. Um, which obviously you wouldn't have seen if you were not paying attention to the spoilers. But uh, after the fact, I saw it. It was it was unbelievable because you see that snippet in the movie mm-hmm. and you're like, they, they could never put this on TV like that, like blood spattering everywhere and whatnot. And yeah. you watch the clip the and like, like a, his head blown off when he's driving. Yeah. Yep. Shot for shot. It's it's really interesting. Dig it up. Uh, I don't remember who shared it, but it won't be hard to find. I think I um, like being played with in that way where like there was also like the Steve McQueen movie where I think the great, great escape where yeah. Leo was like kind of just inserted into the real movie. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I think like, you're correct. But then like in the Sharon Tate movie, I don't know which movie that was the one with Dean Martin. Um, they just showed like the real Sharon Tate in the real movie. They didn't like put Margot Robbie in it. But yeah. then there was like all this other Leo like movies that he was in and shows that he was in that they showed within the movie that were just made up, you know? And then you had like the whole backdrop of like Sharon Tate and Charles Manson and all that being like real history, like nonfiction blended with this fictional story. I don't know. I just felt like uh, disoriented and intrigued like the whole time. Yeah, it's it, it was it was really good. I loved the decision not to replace Sharon Tate in hindsight. Uh, and I didn't think of this until you were just saying that. But it, there's a sort of I think that's a sort of hint from Tarantino that like, no, I'm not going to erase Sharon Tate in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we're meant to get that. Also, shout out to Margot Robbie, who with no words in that scene does some of the best face acting and just like. Oh, which is in the theater watching herself. Yeah, yeah. it's just mm-hmm. just a spectacular spectacular yeah. performance by her in that scene i loved that that was great how about leo at the end in the robe with the margarita pitcher <laughs> like just like yelling at these dirty drunkenly like screaming at these dirty hippies that showed up on his drive yeah that that was uh 
I I was there were aspirational elements to that. Although again, like I watch that and I see Tarantino's character from Pulp Fiction in the bathrobe, or was it Eric Stoltz's character who's wearing the bathrobe? And, no, it's and... Tarantino. He's like making coffee for yeah, uh, yeah. Which is for Harvey Keitel. Yeah, the, in the most awkward scene from Pulp Fiction that holds up the least well out of uh, possibly Tarantino's oh, entire yeah, the whole oeuvre. the whole yeah. guy in the backseat thing. Yeah, the whole the whole storage issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it also <laughs> So you remind me of Bookie Nights too, when you've got Alfred Molina in the robe. Oh uh, yeah, with Cosmo throwing the the the, the, the uh, like firecrackers around the living room. Yep, <laughs> playing Sister Christian. Like that's kind of how I like. I just I think I'm going to remember Leo in that scene for a long time. Yeah, and I I think I think that this movie is going to surprise you on, and I haven't rewatched it yet, but I just have a suspicion it's going to turn out to be more rewatchable than, than I think you suspect. Well, like I said last week, I just don't rewatch movies. Like, well, that's happened. <laughs> so. Time is so limited. I mean, I, I have to play this matchy game on my iPad where I like match crystals and stuff. And like, who can give up two hours of that? You do that? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, not my proudest <laughs> moment, but I have a matchy game that I play. Doesn't girl. everybody? You have a job and a family and a podcast. How do you have time for that? Well, I really, I try to squeeze it in around the podcast. That's the real trick. All right. Well, this was fun. Uh, shout out to mcelroy.com. Thanks for sponsoring the pod with, I don't know, just the attention that you gave us. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, who do we play? Who do the Redskins play this week? I don't know, but this is the crucial third preseason game where something significant always, you know, is supposed to happen. So hooray. Um, yeah. I, is, by the way, what, what, is Colt McCoy ready to play? No, like so practicing, right? Yeah, he's been practicing. They're saying he's not ready to play. Um, I, I hope he is never ready to play because I feel like as soon as he's ready to play, Gruden is going to put him back in, which is even worse than Case Keenum um, as far as the uninteresting decisions to make. Um, so, you know, but no, currently still injured. Uh, I wish him the best and a speedy healing, but ideally just not before like week eight of the regular season. You know what I'm looking forward to is that moment in my fantasy draft this is kind of random when the first Redskin is taken and it's like the fifth round and everybody jokes about how bad they are. Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, our mutual friend, Dan Steinberg was in my fantasy draft for the first time last year. Uh, it was his first, first year, uh, drafting with us. And the rest of the league is like huge Redskins fans, like just massive. Most of them apologies to the Patriot fan and the Giants fan, but most of the league is, is huge Redskins fans. And, uh, Dan was just astounded at how even in that group, nobody was taking Redskins. They just kept like Alex Smith. I think it was just kept falling and falling or whoever it was. He was like, nobody has any faith. I I can't, can't believe it. Um, Who would you even take? Honestly, like, like none of the receivers. And then it's like guys and none of the quarterbacks. And then it's guys and Peterson, like who can figure out who's going to get the carries there. Yeah, and Jordan Reed, who could actually be like a real difference maker in fantasy this year, possibly. Um, he's, I mean, he's got to be like the tenth tight end. At best. Like, he at will best. Be. He'll be. He'll be a late take, but I, he's yeah. the kind of guy where he's going to be taken late and could actually pay off. You know, um, right. if I had to take one Redskins player, that's who I would take. I wonder if there's a team out there that had like, let's just say the like, would the Redskins be the last team to not have a player drafted? Huh. That's a you great. Know what I mean, like, do the Jag the Jaguars have like Leonard Fournette? You know, uh, who do the Bills have? Like Lashawn McCoy. 
You know, yeah, I, the bills. The bills might might. So, because what what we're really asking here is, do the Redskins have the least inspiring group of skilled players in the league? That's what the question here actually becomes, right? I, I'm sure there's got to be another team that's on their level. The bills. <laughs> the bills are close. Um, the Bengals, if AJ Green isn't healthy by then, um, maybe close. Yeah, I haven't done my fantasy. I can't. I'm not prepared to have this conversation, but just the fact that the conversation could be had is, is sad enough. Yeah. Well, next week uh, is your draft before uh, next week's preseason game. Uh, no. Okay. No, so... it's not. I've got two. I've got two lined up that are like end of August, early September. So by next week, you'll have this all squared out and you'll be able to let us know. Yeah. All right. Well, we have that to look forward to. Uh, this is fun. Thanks, man. <laughs> Good time. Talk to you.